You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, today on Getting Swamped, I have one of the most very well-respected analysts in the industry, the one, the only, the master of the VIP boards, by the way, Thomas Goldcamp. Uh, Thomas, speaking of those VIP boards, man, how are they uh, behaving themselves today? You know, I think they've settled down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> certainly have had some interesting uh, blow-ups in the, in the last couple of days. I mean, you know how that goes. It's a very passionate fan base, to yeah. say the least. Definitely. I'm sure it can get crazy as times just as Gator Twitter. It probably is right now because of the crystal balls, the kids coming into the transfer portal, that's been heating up lately. Uh, seems like every single day, every single second, there's a new person in the transfer portal. That's, you know, that's what I really wanted to hit on today and discuss and try to gauge where Billy Napier and Chase Clark and some of the other folks on the staff are going to do right now in the transfer portal. As we all heard Billy Napier say, going to hit the portal hard this cycle, especially, you know, towards the month of May. Uh, Billy Napier also said at the end of phase three, he'd be giving exit interviews. Um, as far as it means exit, go to the transfer portal or exiting phase three. <laughs> uh, barring whatever that means, Carlos Del Rio, former top 200 quarterback, has entered the transfer portal. Um, I'm sure there are probably going to be more guys to come, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you just look at, you know, Florida scholarship numbers right now where they're at. They've got to pair down uh, by the time fall camp starts. So, you know, I think I never like to speculate on, on which guys will leave. I, you know, generally I like to talk more in position groups, you know, just cause I think it's, it's not fair to these kids to, to speculate. And, you know, if what, it, right. obviously we hear things, um, you know, doing what I do, but uh, you know, kids change their mind and, you know, I'd hate to give somebody the wrong impression on a certain guy, but yeah, I mean, Florida's at 90 scholarships. Um, you know, unless the accounting changes, that means they need to get rid of five guys, uh, whether that's, you know, transfer out, uh, med- medical disqualification, graduation, whatever have you. Um, but, you know, like you said, I mean, Billy Napier and his staff are going to go after some players in the transfer portal. Uh, to do that, you have to have the scholarships. So I think with exit interviews starting today, uh, this is Wednesday that we're recording this, I, I would expect the next week or two, uh, really probably a couple weeks, are, are going to be pretty interesting as far as some of those names popping up uh, to join guys like Carlos Del Rio in the portal. Yeah, I'm really curious to see which kids leave and what positions that they leave. I mean, if, if you go back, you look at that spring game, um, you saw the quarterbacks. They didn't get a lot of playing time. Carlos Del Rio, obviously, he entered the transfer portal. I'm not really sure, and, and I hate to put a na- kid's name out there, but Jalen Kitna, you know, didn't really perform that well. You could see where he's a project guy for Dan Mullen. Putting that into perspective, you got that going on there. You got some other positions of, of some guys that Dan Mullen did acquire when he was in the staff. And, you know, about a week ago, one of your guys, uh, Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports, said uh, Billy Napier talks about adding quality players, two deep players, starters. He wants to increase the depth, good quality depth, uh, not just guys who are going to fill holes. So, First off, you know, I, I was kind of surprised uh, how many of these new transfer rules were coming into effect this year. And for the average viewer that doesn't know about, I guess, the within-the-conference transfer rules that just came about this year and uh, transferring within conference SEC to SEC, uh, could you just go ahead and elaborate what those new rules are? Yeah, basically the, uh, the SEC put in a conference-specific rule that for football, or I guess really all fall sports, uh, to transfer from one SEC program to another SEC program, 
you have to be in the portal uh, or have, I don't, I forget the exact terminology, um, but basically there's a deadline of February 1st. And so if guys didn't already make their SEC to SEC transfer before then, there's now a whole process that they have to go through with the league to get a waiver, that kind of thing. Uh, so it, it's a significant additional hurdle uh, for SEC to SEC transfers that doesn't exist necessarily in other conferences. Some, some of those conferences may have their own rules. I'm not sure, uh, you know, covering Florida, we know the SEC rule. Right. Um, and, and then for spring sports and winter sports, there's a different deadline. I want to say it's like May 1st. Uh, but for the purposes of football, I, I don't think you can expect to see a whole lot of um, transfers into Florida from an SEC program. At this point. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, SEC guys that did go into the portal. You have cup from Texas A&M, IGA Hall actually just announced he was going to go to Texas. So that he's, he's kind of off the board there. Uh, but with the new rule, it's, it's basically, I guess, before the immediate eligibility rule, now you have to go apply for a waiver if it's after February the 1st. It kind of applies like the same rule before the Yeah, it's, it's almost like a, going back to the old, the old version where you have to seek uh, immediate eligibility approval from the NCAA. Right, right. Okay. So for all you average viewers out there, that's exactly what that means now. So we, we've crushed that. So uh, without, with that being said, you know, I, you know, I might be stating the obvious question here, but for some of the viewers, uh, what are some key positions that you think Florida just in general will go after uh, to fill some of those spots and depth issues? And do you, and before I, you even answer that one, how many spots do you expect them to, I guess, get rid of just so they can add? I'm going to actually answer that question in reverse um, because I go think, ahead. yeah, I think what Florida is going to try to do is bring in, I think anywhere between four to six guys. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked to sources and we have a pretty good idea which positions those are at, uh, how, how, how many that they want to target. Um, and so if you do the math from there, you're probably talking about something like 10 guys leaving the program. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. expect that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, the numbers always work out. I don't, I don't think anybody should be, uh, worried about that necessarily, but yeah, you're going to, I mean, like I said, when, when these exit interviews, which started today begin to happen and, and Billy Napier and his staff, you know, just have frank, honest conversations about, you know, here's kind of what we envision for this position in our system. Here's kind of the tool set, you know, that you have not sure this is going to work. Uh, we just want to be realistic with you and look, you, you know, you're, you're a good player. You probably have a, the ability to play elsewhere. So um, let us know what we can do to help you. If you, if you decide to enter the transfer portal and if you want to stick it out, you know, I'm sure the conversations are, um, you know, they go both ways, but, but I think that's sort of how the process looks. And then as you, you know, as we get through these next couple of weeks, you're going to see guys start to enter the portal. And, um, there's no, the other thing I would say is there's no real, um, like guys have to leave before guys come in. This all just has to be sorted out before fall camp. Like you have to be at the 85 by fall camp. And so there's plenty of time. I mean, uh, Florida's not limited from taking guys now, uh, by needing to wait for guys to enter the portal, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So eventually they have these interviews with these kids and, you know, if they want to stay, they stay. But eventually, I guess most kids seem to find the writing on the wall either then or maybe even later if they're kind of not making that starting role and all of that. So, but yeah, it, I mean, these, these guys want to play. So, right, you know, exactly. I mean, and this has been going on forever. This is not new to the transfer portal. I mean, it's a little different with the immediate eligibility, but I mean, this has been going on for decades. Yeah, and I think I've heard on a podcast a long time ago that now with this new transfer portal, it's it's easier. It sounds it sounds really bad when I say this, but it's easier to get rid of a kid to get them to transfer 
than it used to be back in the old times. You know, you would have to, you really couldn't say anything like that to a kid back then. But now with the transfer portal and the way that it is, it's a lot easier for a kid to just transition from one school to the next, especially if it's with not within the conference, if it's out of outside of another conference here in the SEC. But, you know, barring that, you know, with, with Florida being able to take who they want to without having to, I guess, give up whatever they have right now, um, what are some positions that you think that they're uh, going to hit on? You know, Billy Napier said he needs good quality depth and he needs depth that can pretty much start if they have to. So it's not something that he's doing just to fill a hole. He needs good quality depth. So what do you expect them to hit on? Uh, certainly in the portal. Well, I think the two biggest ones that stick out to me are defensive tackle. Um, I think that position outside of Javon Dexter has a lot of bodies, but I'm not sure that any of them have shown that they can be an SEC uh, starting caliber player just yet. You know, I, I still am fairly high on Jalen Lee. Um, I think he's one guy that can come along. Christopher Thomas has been hurt, so he hadn't had a chance to show much. Uh, Chris McClellan's a guy that Florida has on the roster who looked good in the spring as a freshman, but you just, that's a spot where if you're Florida and you can get a guy that's played some power five football or high level football and can come in and start from day one, I think defensive tackles absolutely either one a or one B as far as the priority. And then I think the other one is receiver. Um, You know, I think Florida feels pretty good about the starting group with Justin shorter, Xavier Henderson and Trent Whittemore. Beyond that, um, you have some younger guys that probably have some potential down the road, but I don't know that they're all the way there yet. And those guys are probably Dejon Reynolds, Marcus Burke. I think Jaquavian Frazier is probably even a little bit ahead of those two. Um, but the, the problem is, as we saw in the spring game, there's not a lot of receivers on this roster that are explosive. No. Like just, Justin Shorter, great frame, uh, good at you know going up and being able to get some of those back shoulder throws and all that. But he's not really running away from people, I would say, a whole lot. Um, I think the biggest need probably is, is a, a slot guy. If you can get an explosive slot guy, I think Trent Whittemore is a, a really good route runner there. He's very crafty, uh, very athletic, but he's not necessarily quick twitch, if that makes sense. Um, so I think, I think those are the two spots for sure where you will absolutely see Florida take someone. I think some of the other ones are going to kind of be felt out more based on what's available in the portal. Like you said, they're not gonna they're not gonna take guys just to take guys, and you know with the scholarship numbers we already talked about, they can't really afford to, right? So they've got to be selective. I do think quarterback is going to be a spot that they look. I, I think that they're not super comfortable where they were coming out of spring with what happens if Anthony Richardson gets hurt. You know, Jack Miller was up and down a little bit throughout the spring. I think he's he's a potential backup option, but I'm not sure they're fully comfortable uh, with that room right now. And then I think. Um, you know, we've heard that they're probably going to pursue tight end. Um, I personally, I don't know if I would do that. Um, it's obviously very important to Billy Napier's offense. They love to use two tight end sets, that kind of thing. But I look at it and I, and I worry, the worry for me is always, uh, don't overload just to solve a short term problem. Right. And right now Florida has Keon zipper. Dante Sanders is going to be staying at that position. Uh, when healthy, you have Jonathan Odom and Nick Elksness, and then you sign three guys. So you're already looking at seven guys there, assuming, again, these exit interviews don't change the math on that. Uh, but tight end would be another one. I'm trying to think. I think if they could get a quality offensive tackle, they'd take one. Um, so what is that? We've got, that's, that's about right, five to six different positions. And, yeah. and I think, like I said, I think they'll be flexible depending on who's available where. 
Yeah, and you're right about wide receiver, too, because Justin Shorter will be gone after this year. So now you've got Xavier Henderson and some of those other newer guys that haven't even really been out there on the field and gotten that much experience. So, you know, it does make sense to hit wide receiver. I'm pretty sure that would probably be the first one I would have thought of if I was thinking. And then you're right on the tight end spot as well, especially now that I'm hearing that Elksis could be good by the fall. We don't know yet, but he yeah. will miss spring, obviously. Then you got Dante Sanders, who showed his ability there in the spring game, but he did play tight end a little bit in high school. But from what I know, uh, with the with what I saw at the spring game, you can probably get by with the way the tight end position is right now, with what you got there, as long as they can stay healthy, and then you're fine. Um, as you said, quarterback. When you look at it, Jack Miller, he's coming in new system. Uh, only had 53 snaps at Ohio State. He's going to need to learn. He's going to have to be. He has no starting experience at all. And you've got two other quarterbacks before Carlos Del Rio you know, left, you've got two other quarterbacks with no experience. So it's really, even if you were to get rid of those quarterbacks before Jack Miller, you're really not losing out on anything. Nothing that, you know, big experience, nothing like that. So uh, as far as, yeah, defensive tackle, obviously that's, you know, behind Garon Dexter. You don't have a proven guy, but um, you know, you make a good point there as well. But as far as those other positions, really, I, I guess you kind of hit the nail on the head because I can't really think of any other position that, you know, we would consider, I guess, not linebacker. Sorry, I left off linebacker. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, secondary is pretty loaded. I don't, I don't think they need any numbers there at all. Yeah, I think if you can get you know a, a quality linebacker like Tennessee did last year with with Henry Toloto, um, you know I, they feel good about the the younger guys there. Dewan Black had a really really good spring. Uh, Scooby Williams got banged up a little bit at the end, but he had a nice spring. Derek Wingo, but I think if you can get another veteran in that group, and again that that's a position you may have some attrition. Uh, potentially from the current roster. So I, I think if you can get another veteran at linebacker. But yeah, other than that, I think, you know, that those are probably the spots. And, and the one thing I'll say on quarterback too, that's tricky because Anthony Richardson is who he is, right? Like you're, you're yeah. probably like the starting job's his uh, for all intents and purposes. So, you know, your sales pitch there is maybe not quite as good, you know, in terms of attracting like a really, really high level guy. I think what they're looking for there is, is maybe probably more of a veteran that's stable where if something happens to Anthony Richardson, you know, the, the whole season doesn't go kapoop. That makes sense. Yeah. Somebody that's got at least some kind of college experience and that knows how to manage an offense and uh, obviously an, an offense that Billy Napier is going to run as far as high school recruiting. I mean, Florida, they picked up a commit this week. Tyree Patterson from Eustis, Florida, six foot two, 175 pound wide receiver, really good stats for high school too. If you go to max preps, 1,692 total receiving yards for his career, 19.9 yards per reception, averaging almost 100 yards per game, and 20 total touchdowns there. So you got a guy, it's a three-star guy, and I, and I remember he, he was, I think he was sitting at around 1,000, and now he's sitting at 500 in the 24-7 sports composite. So I guess he's been to a couple camps. He's impressed a little bit, so he's, he's moved up in the rankings there. So... It's April right now, and I know a lot of guys don't like to see the three stars come into the class early, but uh, talking to some of the other guys there, and, and this is just an obvious thing, if you're taking those type of guys towards the end of the cycle, <laughs> then I'm worried. But if you're taking some of these guys at the beginning of the cycle, especially a guy like that that's an up-and-comer, I mean, we saw it with Isaiah Bond, Nick Evers last year. Those guys were three-star guys. Uh, Isaiah Bond wound up being the number one athlete in the class by the end of the class. Nick Evers wound up being a top 150 quarterback. So it's not really bad when you take a three-star guy like that 
at the beginning of the cycle because you never really know where he's going to end up towards the end of the cycle. And with, with statistics like that, if he has another good year and goes to some of these camps and impresses, we might see him bump up more in the 24-7 sports composite or rankings now. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple things to unpack there. Um, first, from the rankings jump standpoint, the, the way that that process sort of works is with the 24-7 composite, if a prospect is only rated by one of the services, he's not yeah. going to have a 24-7 composite grade, right? So when Florida took his commitment, I think 24-7 sports uh, was the only service that had a rating on him. And so what happens is once he gets rated by other services and other services, when they see a guy is going to commit to Florida, you know, there's pressure on them to then rate that kid. And so they give him an initial grade. And then based on that initial grade, the composite score gets generated. And so it looks like a rankings bump, but really what it is, is just, you know, he's a guy that the system hadn't gotten to yet, the recruiting system. Um, And so a couple takeaways from that is one, you know, Florida's early on him, right? I mean, the guy didn't have offers from many high level programs. Um, So Billy Napier and his staff, you can tell that they're, they are really casting a wide net with recruiting and particularly in the footprint Um, guys that play for smaller schools. uh, I believe Eustace is a smaller school. Yeah. Um, I think it's five. A. Yeah. So, you know, kind of mid range. Um, Typically they don't get as much exposure as some of these other schools. You know, I mean, there's, there's pretty much always a 24 seven or an on three or a rivals guy that, you know, at, at St. Thomas Aquinas games, for example. Right. So those guys get a lot of eyes on them. Um, as far as, you know, the, the numbers and all that, and like you're, you're talking about uh, taking a guy early who maybe just hasn't been properly evaluated by the recruiting industry yeah. right now, I think that's more what's happening here. But the thing I look at is, you know, and people on message boards like Swamp 24-7, the, the, the fans that really follow every twist and turn in recruiting will freak out a little bit about having a three-star in the class. The reality is nobody's signing all four and five stars. Right. And I think based on the last two coaching staffs, Florida fans are a little bit gun shy when they see a, a three star type taken early, because typically, typically those are guys that are going to be happy to get an offer at a place like Florida and will jump in the class late if you want them and say, say you struck out on plan A or plan B. Yep. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think Florida has evaluated this guy and decided they really like the way that he moves. He's also new to football for the most part. He played youth football growing up and then stopped and ended up being a basketball player and only recently has gone back into football. So he's raw. You know, they, they like the tools. Um, but the other thing is, like, from... I always look at recruiting from sort of the macro standpoint, right? Not, like, the numbers say from from big picture standpoint that if you take too many three-stars, you're not going to have as much success as the team taking a lot of four-stars and five-stars, right? That's, that's big picture. But that doesn't mean a three-star recruit himself is not going to pan out, right? Like, there's, there's individual outliers. And so... I think the, the main thing that is different probably from this take and from the early development of this class versus maybe Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen is you're not seeing a bunch of these, right? Like this, this is only one guy that's a, a lower rated prospect. And it's not like Florida's filling up half the class with these types early on. And that was the, the problem with some of the previous coaching staffs is they would take a lot of these questionable early takes. And then a lot of times they get down the road and the senior season plays out and the guy is you know, didn't make the leap that they thought maybe he could. And then you have difficult conversations. It's harder to push guys out of the class late. Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't think this is a situation where, where Florida fans should be panicking and I get it. Like I get it. You know, uh, Florida fans are very passionate. Like I said, I think they're a little gun shy after the last two staffs. Uh, but I think, you know, 
from the understanding sort of the, the process as far as how ranking swamps work, uh, you know, the idea that Billy Napier and his staff are casting a wide net and really evaluating and they like this. I, I think the only way you start to get concerned is if they start piling up a bunch of these types of takes and you start seeing, you know, the five star guys that they're after, the Cormani McLeans and, and uh, AJ Harris's and all those guys start to commit to other programs because Florida is, is, is focusing highly on those four and five stars. And until yeah. those guys start heading elsewhere, I don't see any reason to panic. Yeah. And I think like two years ago, I watched Dan Mullen's recruiting class and he took about 23 to four star players and it was about half and half split. And I was like, well, this recruiting class isn't going to be that good. And the other thing uh, we, I don't think we talked about this on the Swamp 24 seven podcast when I had Blake Alderman on the other day, uh, but he mentioned it to us maybe right before, or right after we shot this staff is not handing out a lot of offers to those lower end prospects. Yeah. Like this is sort of a unique take in that sense. There, there's not a bunch of offers being dumped where, you know, the recruiting analysts who cover a lot of these guys and have seen a lot of them play are like, Oh my God, what is Florida doing offering this guy? Yeah. You know? So that's a positive too. Well, I've also noticed that the uh, visitor lists don't have those type of lower. I mean, they have some lower three-star guys on there, but it's not as many as it used to be. When I was looking at visitor list, I was like, hmm, that's really, I mean, you see a lot more five stars on there. You see a lot more top 100 guys, top 150 guys. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, they're getting the right guys here on campus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. So, so, you know, at least the staff, whether they strike out or, or they, they, they hit, at least they're trying, they're giving forth that effort to get these guys on campus, to get the elites in here. Um, you know, they've changed so much just on campus just to get, and you're right about the three-star thing too. Like if you go back, I, I always try to look at film when I look at a three-star to see, especially early in the cycle to see if maybe they could jump or if I think futuristically they could jump. When I saw his film, Tyree Patterson, Patterson, yeah. Patterson yeah. When I saw his film, I was like, man, he's actually pretty good. He knows how to get open. I mean, he may not be the bur- like the fastest burner out there, but he knew how to get open. But when I remember when Jim McElwain had recruited Kadarius Tony, um, I wasn't too crazy when I first looked at it. But when I saw his film, I said, man, this guy, this guy's shifty. <laughs> like, he's, Did you he's watch that uh, that high school all star game he played? I think it was Alabama versus Mississippi. No. Oh my goodness, man, he's playing quarterback. But yeah, that was I, so. I don't I, full disclosure. I am not the recruiting guy. Right. Yeah. I, I am very much, I stay in my lane. I focus on the team. I don't even like to look at you now high school tape of these guys before they get to campus because I don't right. like to, I don't like to have an opinion, man. Like high school and college, there's so many different variables that, you know, for me, a five-star that walks on campus, is the same as, you know, the three-star and I've seen three stars outwork five stars. Now that doesn't mean, you know, the talent's not different. I'm not saying that, but I like to sort of not have any impressions. But yeah, anyway, sorry to, to ramble, but no, yeah, no, no, Canary's Tony in that game was like, oh my goodness, man. One of the few times I was like, wow. This, this is my podcast. We can ramble all we want. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, we, we talk about NIL and we talk about, I guess, a lot of fans out there, they're talking about, oh, well, we're not getting these guys early. And, and me personally, I'm just like, dude, it's only April. You hear another, a lot of the guys, they're like, oh, well, we, we didn't land this guy after the, the big recruiting visits or the spring game. And we talk about NIL and it's, it's really changed the game. You guys kind of covered it on the 24-7 Sports Podcast is now a lot of kids, especially the elite kids, are waiting because they're, they're not in a hurry to sign anywhere really early. I mean, with, with NIL going on, what if somebody gives them a $300,000 deal, then somebody gives them a $500,000 deal and so on and so forth. And I think the longer that these kids wait, the, the, the more the pressure is on the school. So the more the pressure, they up the ante and all of that kind of stuff. Am, am I not right? 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of going both ways. Um, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, we see this every year as the, the board starts to shrink the, the sense of urgency from programs in the way that they're recruiting these guys shifts, right? They'll, they'll put a lot more effort, you know, when there's only two prospects left on the board versus 20. Um, so that's part of it. But I also think these, these NIL groups, collectives, first off, they're so new, right? This, this whole thing is so new that the collectives themselves are still trying to figure things out yeah. and raise money. And a lot of them don't want to overpromise and then underdeliver because that can have pretty serious consequences down the road. And so I think for some of these guys, like, you know, I would guess that the, the conversations around NIL are more, Hey, we're getting this into place. Here's what we think we'll be able to offer you. Um, and, and obviously for the five-star types, like, you know, it, it's sort of like a, a sliding scale, right? For the, for the guys that you want in the class right now, you're giving them probably more concrete answers. But, you know, for some of the guys that maybe are third or fourth on the board at their position, you're having, I would imagine, general discussions about this. And then as you get further down the road, you know, and these collectives continue to raise more money and iron out, you know, figure out their books, then you're able to give them a more realistic picture. But I mean, dude, this is a learning experience for everyone. I mean, the amount of different stuff that I'm trying to cover related to NIL now, it's like I'm learning something new every day. And this is my full time job. So these recruits, you know, there's just so much information flying at them that I do think that's one of the reasons you're seeing maybe more delayed timelines than you have in the past. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're an IT guy and you have to figure out a new computer language when it comes out. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I tell you this, the only class I think I failed AUF was C plus plus. Oh so. man, it's tough. <laughs> I've, I've tried it. I've tried it. It's tough. Yeah. C programming. And I enjoy coding, but yeah, it's a, uh, I get you. <laughs> all right. All right. We're going to segue from that. Um, but you're right about the NIL thing. Uh, Darren Heitner actually even said there may be a big thing happening. Uh, it's bigger than Gatorade, possibly a deal for Florida. We don't know what it is. I have no clue. I've asked around a million people. Nobody knows. But yeah. you see where <laughs> Florida and other schools are starting to catch on, maybe bigger companies, bigger NIL deals to get some more of these guys in here because obviously NIL takes money and you need that pouring into the program to get some of these guys to campus. So, you know, a lot of these kids, I think a lot of these kids are also waiting it out because it's so new. So they don't know what sort of deals they could get from one school to the other. And I think that's why you see like the delay of commitments now. And it's not as like people just committing right off the bat. Cause before you didn't even have this. So you liked a school you committed. And then if maybe later on you didn't like it, you could decommit, go somewhere else. And everything was all hunky dory after that. So I think the cause for concern for, uh, I mean, I guess not getting recruits now, um, my, I guess, answer to that is no, you shouldn't be concerned. But what about you? Um, specific to Florida? No, I don't, I don't yeah. think so. Um, you know, and obviously I think, I think things will continue to play out over the summer months. I really do. I think, you know, if, like I said, I think the the bigger thing to focus on right now is, are you missing out on guys? Right. And right now it's really not the case outside of one or two individual prospects. Um, I, I don't see that Florida is losing battles right now. And that's where you start to get concerned is, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we bag on Dan Mullins recruiting. Well, I don't know. I don't speak for you, but I have at times. <laughs> oh, um, no, I have, you can just, just look at my Twitter just look at my yeah. past posts. You'll see it. So, uh, but, you know, I think part of the issue was not that they couldn't get some of these guys on campus. If you remember back to last June, uh, they were one of the 
best visit lists in the country on that first official visit weekend when everything was thrown open after the COVID year and guys could finally start to get back to campus. Florida staff did an awesome job at getting five stars like Walter Nolan and, and some of these other guys on campus. The problem was they couldn't close, right? Yeah. And so right now what you have with Florida only having the two commitments and uh, just not seeing a lot of movement with those guys, it's an incomplete data set, right? Like we, we just don't know. And yeah, I, get, I understand the people that are, you know, lean more towards the concern side who say, oh, we get all these good comments, you know, in, in these recruits articles after visits, but where are the commitments? I get it. But you are also not seeing them commit elsewhere, right? So Florida's not losing these battles. So I just, I think the, the level of angst, the level of concern maybe from some parts of the fan base, me is a little bit overboard. Yeah, and if you look at, la- just go to last recruiting class towards the end of the recruiting class in December. Look what Billy Napier did in a short amount of time. When the kids had to make a decision right then and there, he was able to pull, you know, a five-star Kamari Wilson, uh, Shamar James, keeping him in the class, getting some of these top 100, uh, even Devin Moore, a guy that I think is way better than what his recruiting ranking is. You pull him in the class, so you, you he get he can get the elites here. And I think it's just going to take a lot more time now here with NIL and it actually, you know, talking about that sparked a question um, with NIL. Before we before we end here, I want to ask: Do you think now it's easier for some of the in-state kids to want to stay in state with NIL? I mean, because if you got a local kid and he's from Florida and he's a top prospect, you already got people talking about him. You already got companies looking at him. Uh, he's the talk of the town, and he's the local guy that everybody wants to have on their college football team. Do you think some of these NIL companies are willing to pony up more to keep them in state? Or do you think NIL is now an advantage for, you know, maybe some people out of state to pull kids out of state and say, have a Florida guy to go to California or something like that? I I would think in individual cases, you may see that, you know, uh, where an individual major recruit maybe goes out of state for an NIL deal. I think you're going to see some of that. I think for the most part, like across the board, I think it's going to be a positive keeping kids home and I I think that's a great question that you brought up because I I think part of what we're seeing with NIL is players are understanding sort of not to be cliche but their value they're understanding how to build their brand Um, and this is stuff that's always been pertinent right like it's always mattered but now it matters to their bottom line right so they're more invested in creating their brand and you know building their social media influence the right way and to your point if you've got a guy that's down the road in tampa or jacksonville or orlando or wherever in in the state of florida and they have that you know they're they're a big star in their high school program right and they've got their fans and they've got their following i think it's absolutely easier to sort of use that as a launching point if you stay in the state and go to a place like florida because you already have that sort of local network built and it can just grow on top of that with NIL. And I think it gets not to say you can't do that out of state. You know, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is all online presence. Right. Yeah. But I do think it's easier for guys to, to build locally. And so I'm interested to see how that plays out. You know, that that's my sense. I don't know if that's accurate. Yeah. I'm curious to see. I might, I might try to run that this year with NIL to see how many kids actually did stay in state. At their, at their respective states where they went to high school and which ones actually ventured outside of the state. Maybe try to compare it before NIL and see if maybe there's certain percentage comparisons because, I mean, 
You would think somebody locally like that, he could get so many more NIL deals just from being the talk of the town his whole life in high school and then going to college and, you know, all the people in state are clamoring for him. They want to keep him in state. So he might be able to get even better NIL deals here than he would elsewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you on that. Again, I think, I think the top end of the spectrum, you know, the guys that are commanding $8 million deals or whatever, yeah. that's, those guys are going to still go wherever they want to go right, with yeah. the big NIL deal, right? But for the majority, the bulk of your class, I do think, I do think it's a benefit to stay in state. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Thomas Goldcamp, thank you for joining me here on Getting Swamped. Uh, I know we were strapped for time here. I had to stay late at work, but luckily I was able to come back in here and uh, get you on here, man. As I said, I have a lot of respect for you, man. I've been following you forever, ever since you've been on 24-7 Sports. And uh, if you got anything to say to Gator Nation or any of the guys worried about recruiting, go ahead and say it. If not, you don't have to say anything else. Uh, just say what, just, I don't know, say whatever you want to to end the podcast. No, I mean, I think, I think we covered it pretty well. I think, you know, just, just keep the big picture outlook in mind, you know, and, and look, if, if there's a time to panic, I'll be right there with you writing about it <laughs> because I, I've seen these macro trends play out over time. And, uh, I just don't think Florida is there right now, but, uh, no, David, I, I, you know, I had a chance to listen to the podcast that you did with, with Lloyd Summerall and, and really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm thrilled that the, you know, we've gotten to a place where so many different avenues can pop up to talk about the Florida Gators and, and college sports as a whole. Uh, I love your podcast. I love the work you're doing. I know, uh, you know, you've, you've had some, some awesome guests on, and I think that's great for the fans. And I think the other thing, I think NIL is going to really, really help sort of rekindle some of the connections between players and the fans. I think, you know, we, we kind of, for the last several years have drifted to, to less and less media access and, and that's fine. Like that's, that's its own thing. Um, but I think NIL is going to allow podcasts like yours and, and other podcasts to be a part of the conversation in ways that they haven't in the past. And I think the athletes are really liking that as well. And so I, I'm excited about sort of where things are going with NIL. There's going to be a lot of potential pitfalls, but uh, I, I think, you know, podcasts like yours stand to benefit a lot. And I think especially the listeners and the, the viewers of podcasts like yours are going to really enjoy it. Yeah, as I told Gator Jen, who's been really, actually today's her birthday, so happy birthday to her. As I've told her, I said, you know, you've really, you've helped me out, but you've also helped me understand these players more, and you've helped other people understand these players more. And I think what's really cool about getting these player interviews, engaging their mind, and, and what Ben Troop does on that 84 Reasons podcast, you really get to learn about the player more than, than anybody else would. You know, uh, you you get that access to them, and I think it's really cool, and it helps other people understand what these football players go through. And maybe you're not tweeting them really mean tweets if they miss a play or something like that. So yeah, I think that it's a real positive because you know it it's one thing for guys like me that are around these players a lot and cover them and write about them on a daily basis. For, for fans that aren't having those types of interactions, you can lose that touch, and I, I think it's awesome that it seems to me to be sort of rekindling, you know, some of what made, co- what made college sports so, uh, so awesome in the first place and, and fan base is so passionate. Right. And you probably over the years have gotten more inside info on these kids than any of us have. So it's really benefited me. It's benefited a lot of podcasts around here. And uh, I can't thank Gator Collective enough for uh, allowing me to interview some of these players for them and interview great people like Thomas Goldcamp which uh, it didn't really need an NIL deal with that. I just had to have a conversation. But uh, I get to interview great 
people in this industry like Thomas Goldcamp. And Thomas, man, thank you for joining me on Getting Swamped. Absolutely. I'm always happy to come on. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, man. All right. That was Thomas Goldcamp there discussing some of the transfer portal potential target areas. And I really didn't want to go down the prospects in the transfer portal at this moment because it's just heating up. I mean, there's guys constantly coming and going and it literally changes every single day, especially around this time. And as I alluded to, Darren Heitner mentioning a big deal about to be struck with NIL. Well, that unfolded after I recorded this segment with Thomas Goldcamp from 24-7 Sports early in the week. And now there's another NIL program that has teamed up with the Gator Collective called the Gator Guard, as it was announced just after we got done recording and it raised $5 million already. Dude, that is extremely huge. I mean, I, I talked to Jen. I've, had, I've talked to Eddie behind the scenes a little bit. And this is big, guys. Like, it, it's, it's big. Uh, I can't go any further into details, but very good news for the future of the Florida Gators. As we all know, NIL is very instrumental in recruiting and getting kids to sign with the schools, as we said, and also keeping them in state as well. So, all right, man. So me and Goldcamp talked about the benefits of the collective and NIL, and I was able to get one of my MVPs of the spring game, Jordan Young, on here to get a little bit more of the insight on himself as a player on and off the field, and we will have that interview here on the second part of Getting Swamped, coming up. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Wood Carving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White & Sons Wood Carving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. College programs must be competitive in name, image, and likeness. It impacts current athletes and affects the decisions of recruits. And Gator fans can put Florida at the forefront of NIL. The Gator Collective is leading the charge, uniting fans and student-athletes like never before. Commit for exclusive content, interactions, and events which bring you closer than ever to your favorite players. Also, by joining the Gator Collective, you're empowering these student-athletes to build relationships and develop skills that go far beyond just making money. You're providing an avenue for these Gators to excel in life. NIL will change the landscape of college sports if we can't be left behind. Gator Nation, do your part by joining the Gator Collective today at www.thegatorcollective.com. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist, your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, folks, joining me here on Getting Swamped, the guy that's been flying all over the field here lately, Jordan Young. Jordan, first off, I saw the video from Dewan Black on Instagram. How was the winning blue team meal after that spring game? <laughs> it was good. It was funny to see the uh, see the guys the other side of our team um, on the orange team eating uh, the losers meal, and we had the big fiesta. So it was pretty fun and entertaining. Yeah, it was good as well. <laughs> I saw what the orange team was eating, and it's like, uh, you know, those little teeny weenies that you get in the can. Like it's like chili with the hot dogs in it. <laughs> you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I saw what they were. I eating. know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> That's exactly what that looked like. But at least I guess they got some mashed potatoes and some rolls with it, right? <laughs> Fact. <laughs> uh, that had me cracking up, man. Uh, anyway. 
I wanted to say congratulations on a fantastic spring game. Uh, six total tackles, three solo tackles. And actually, you retweeted one of my posts that I went back and watched the game. So I was there live, but when, when I when I go back home, I try to observe when I come back and just like look at every single play. And I do that during the season because I like to see, you know, how players are formed and how maybe the defense or the offense reacts to them. And you were one of the guys that like was just straight up making good defensive plays. You stood out. I mean, there were others that stood out too, but I was just really impressed by your instincts as a defender. You were just straight up flying all over the field, making tackles, making playing good, man. I mean, just in man-to-man coverage, I just wanted to go ahead and just tell you I was thoroughly impressed. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. So with all that being said, man, spring game over with. Now I know that there's always room for improvement with anyone after that big spring game performance. Uh, What did some of the coaches say to you after the game? Uh, you know, uh, of course they, um, just talked to me, uh, about having a good game and just, uh, that I just got to keep it pushing, you know, keep working. It's just a little step, uh, to greatness. So I just got to keep working and just keep staying in my playbook and just keep going out there and doing what I love. That's right, Mandy. Like, as I said, you did fantastic, man. I was, as I said, just as a fan, I was impressed from what I see. Um, you, you being a Tampa guy playing at a uh, Gaither high school, uh, let, let me ask you this. You got Miami. Florida State and Florida, and I'm sure you've watched Florida, Florida State, and Miami growing up when you were in high school. What was it that ultimately led you to become a Florida Gator? Oh, man, uh, I've been a Florida Gator all my life. I'm actually hanging a lot. Uh, so, like, that was just a big fact. Like, that's always been my dream school. And then, like, just they were very consistent in the recruiting process, and then COVID happened, so I couldn't get to take my officials, and Florida was just, like, the, the safest place. Um, it was near home. Uh, it had the weather I like. It's the, the vibes that I wanted, the environment. Um, they produced greatness, so it was just kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely, man. Coming from the state of Florida, we, we pump out, especially defensive players. I think we've pumped out more – more NFL defensive players over the past couple decades than offensive players, but we still put some offensive players in the league. Obviously you see Kyle Pitts's last season, Kyle Trask, you know, going to the NFL there getting, getting picked pretty high. Uh, but Florida's always been known for defense. I mean, you've, you've had offers from numerous schools, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Florida state, Miami, South Carolina. What was it like just checking your mailbox every day, coming home and having those numerous cards in there? Oh, wow, it was amazing. It was just just going from being, like, not recruited and, and just, just playing ball to actually getting noticed and getting offers and just going out there and doing what I love. It just was uh, a dream. Just one step clo- closer to my ultimate dream. So it definitely was a blessing. Do you still have all those cards, by the way? Do you keep them all? or? Yeah, my mom got them uh, at the house back home. Yeah, that's something to be proud of, man. I remember a guy that uh, I went to high school with. He was a wound up being a backup tight end for the University of Georgia, but um, he was getting hit up by all sorts of schools to want them to come play for them. And uh, finally, he landed at Georgia. Unfortunately, he he went to the school I didn't want him to go to. But (laughs) nonetheless, uh, it was a wild ride for him, for sure. There was coaches there every single week trying to check him out. So I can imagine what it's like getting, you know, that kind of mail and that kind of attention, especially at that kind of a young age. Um, growing up, I'm sure you've watched Florida play football. Who was your favorite athlete at Florida growing up? Uh, growing up, uh, watching Florida, I, I definitely got to say Vern. 
um, just mm-hmm. everything he did at the uh, cornerback position. Oh yeah, um, he was exciting to watch. Plus, he had that Uno that I that I uh, love and was wearing in like high school and stuff. So I definitely say Vern. BH3, Vernon Hargraves, man. I I, I kind of missed that guy, too. <laughs> I remember when he went to the NFL, and I was like, man, really missing him on this side of the football. But, of course, we had good corners like Jalen Tabor and all those other guys there to to come in there and, and replicate or, or try to replicate what he did. But uh, he was amazing. He was amazing cornerback for the University of Florida. Um, Definitely. And, I, uh, and then when CJ got there, he became uh, – a person I watched all the time as well. I definitely like uh, C.J. Henderson game and just watching him. I used to watch him every day. Oh, yeah. C.J. Henderson, man, that kid could blaze too. Like he was fast. I think he did. I think he ran a four three in his combine. I think so. I can't remember. Yeah, um, he's blazing. Yeah, he he was a fast kid. I remember him chasing down a. <laughs> if you look at the Tennessee game of 2018, he chased down a defender that was about to score and actually caused a touchback. So he never even really got to score. So <laughs> it's a game I, I as a lot of Florida Gator fans enjoyed to see because Tennessee really just didn't have any chance that whole game. But yeah, C.J. Henderson making a huge elite play there just with just with all around speed. Right. Yeah. And. Um, I've asked this to every player I've interviewed, and I've always wanted to know from every player what it's like. And I want to ask you this too: um, You were recruited by Dan Mullen, the last staff. You commit, you commit mm-hmm. and sign with the last staff. A year later, he's let go. Dan Mullen gets let go, and comes the new staff, Billy Napier. Uh, just what were your thoughts in general when all that happened, and what ultimately you know kept you here at the University of Florida? Oh, I just want to start by saying I forever have love for Coach Mullen for. Uh, Blessed me with the opportunity to come to the University of Florida, for one. Um, so, but like like um, everyone knows, it's a business. So um, I know we got to keep uh, keep moving forward. So, Coach Napier came in, uh, got things rolling, and right now um, we're looking good, and every the vibes, the environment is good. So, I guess we just gotta just keep pushing and just keep getting to our goal, which is the championship. That's right. What was your first conversation like with uh, Billy Napier? Oh, it was it was really like he just getting here, uh, getting to know me, just talking to me. I can't remember exactly what was said, but it was definitely a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how close are you guys on the team? Like some of the older seniors, uh, how close are you guys? Oh, uh, we're close. I mean, it's always uh, laughs and giggles are locked room. Everybody uh, laughing, joke with each other. Um, last year was, was pretty much the same thing as well. I don't think it's really a division problem. Um, we're all like brothers. Yeah, who do you say is probably the funniest there on the team? <laughs> I mean, I mean, a lot of people have said a lot of different things. Uh, some people say me. I feel like I'm pretty funny, but uh, I definitely gotta. If I was, if if I would pick somebody besides me, I would have to say probably Naquan. Naquan, right? Naquan, right? Yeah. How how's yeah. he doing, man? Is he recovering pretty well? He, yeah, he's doing good. That's my guy. Then last year, I probably said Damian Pierce. Both of them, those two together, man, they. Hilarious. Yeah, man. Uh, it, 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 funny you mentioned Damian Pierce. That was one of the guys I really wanted to try to interview, but I never got the chance to interview him. But every time he had a press conference, man, it was uh, he made me laugh. He just a great personality, overall personality. Damian Pierce, always funny, always laughing, always smiling, always joking. Um, I, I did see your press conference there. Uh, unfortunately, it was only like three minutes when I looked at it on Gator Vision. And I was like, man, I got to get more of Jordan Young. <laughs> I mean, we only got three minutes with him. I need to get more. So, 
Yeah, I, I always loved Damian Pierce, and uh, you know, I, I've always noticed you. You're always smiling. You're always grateful to be here as well. DeJuan Black's always one of those guys that's always smiling, always goofy, always acted up and stuff. And uh, you know, you you got your coaches. Do you? Is there any coach on the team that's like that as well? Are they? What What's the silliest coach on the team? Uh, all of our uh, new coaches that came in uh, have great personalities and they definitely are hip and, and cultured and er, er, just everything about them is uh, brings, they bring energy and excitement. And a lot of them have a lot of good personalities, make me laugh. Uh, my guy, I mess with Coach Chaos. Uh, yeah. That's my guy, yeah. Coach Coach Spence. Uh, he's funny. He's a funny guy. Coach Raymond, I, Coach Raymond, uh, my dog as well. He a uh, pretty cool dude. Um, straightforward. The whole staff really like the strength and conditioning coaches or everybody like just all have good personalities and make you laugh. It's like that cohesion that you have. The players and the coaches when they're all on the same board, it makes for a good environment. So uh, speaking of Coach Chaos, does he ride that bike to uh, to the campus? Um, I, I think I've seen him ride it uh, once. He told me that he's going to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Just don't let him teach you how to pop wheelies, man. We don't we don't need any more players here, man. <laughs> as far as your well being, though, obviously, we, I, I would hate to see anybody get hurt in general. But obviously, you know, a player on the team, you don't want to see him get hurt doing something off the field. I think we we've experimented that with Anthony Richardson and his dancing skills. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, speaking of your coaches, man, uh, what are the biggest things you've learned so far from Corey Raymond and Patrick Tony, and maybe some of the other defensive stuff? Uh, for them, just basically, it's bigger than football. Like we gotta uh, really understand the game, learn the game, learn everything about it, not just your position. Like um, Coach Raymond always preached us, there's no dumb corners, and he's not gonna have none. So probably just that, like learning the game and and just technique as well. Like I, I progression, like everything, like just going through everything that we need to be successful. Right now, I I saw a press conference from Jay Bateman, and I uh, and I know you're on the, that you're not on that part of the defense. You're on where where Corey Raymond and all of them are, and Patrick Tony. Um, he talked a lot about Florida being the most penalized team last year, and I noticed at the spring game there wasn't really that many penalties. I think there was six total. Um, how big have they been just on penalties and uh, you know being set? Well, they definitely have been putting some focus on that, so we uh, know not to jump off sides or or have like undisciplined penalties so we just definitely they've been preaching that to us and we've been getting better and better every day on it so which is why it was a result in uh less penalties in the spring game and we're gonna keep working to have none yeah i i noticed that that y'all did a good job on penalties in the spring game so that, that that's hats off to you guys um uh, what's the best piece of advice in general that you've received maybe from your coaches maybe that's not football related maybe off the field or something like that um I don't know. I can't think of nothing off the top because they, like, like I said, they came in here rolling, preaching to us, and uh, I definitely done got a a lot of good advice from Coach Raymond, uh, football and non-football. So it's pretty hard to just give you one off the top. That's uh, a big one, but they definitely, they definitely are preaching it to us. Yeah, they preach it probably. You know, a lot of I've heard a lot of the players even tell me that they're trying to find more leadership. Like, like I. I think they're trying to teach just about every player to be a leader. Even if they're not leading people behind them, I think they're trying to teach every individual to be a leader for themselves. Isn't that safe to say? Definitely correct. Awesome. Awesome. So you're listed at cornerback. 
Uh, has the staff asked you to play other positions on the field, maybe safety or something like that? Uh, I play whatever uh, can help the team. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been I played corner the whole spring. Okay. In the spring game, in the spring game, um, we needed a, a nickel, so I went in and uh, got the job done there. So it just uh, whatever the team needs. Yeah, absolutely. You always want to have that player that's willing to play, and and it, it seems like now. Uh, when I talk to a lot of players, they they have the same kind of attitude. They'll play any position on the field, they, you know, and that that's good to have. You, you want players that are willing to do anything that they can, especially just to get on the field, but anything they can do for the team. So that's that's really good to hear. Billy Napier, uh, he said he was going to have a phase three exit interviews with everyone, just about every one of the players exiting phase three. What was that interview like with you, or have you even had that interview with him yet? No, I haven't had mine yet. Mine is uh, on Monday, so I'll uh, have that on Monday. All right, awesome. Uh, Okay, so he hasn't really had the interviews with just about everybody yet, so he's still going through those. Uh, At least he's yeah, yeah, I was going to say, at least he's doing it one-on-one with everybody and not just like as a group of people or anything like that. He's actually specifically going one-on-one and telling everybody, hey, this is what you do well, this is what you maybe need to work on. Something like that. So it's good to hear that he's having those one-on-one conversations with you guys. Definitely. Um, how rigorous, if it is, is the schedule between football practice, studying film, then going to class, then having to study for those exams, doing the homework? How do you juggle all that uh, in between? And is there any kind of free time for you guys outside of that? I mean, it's definitely rigorous. When I got here, uh, it was new to me. But, uh, like everyone knows it's something that has to be done. If you want to live this life, you got to love it. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely doable and you depend on how well you're dedicated to your work and to football, you can have free time depending on how fast you finish your schoolwork and study your plays as well. So, but, so we definitely have some time, not as much time as a everyday person, but um, we definitely have time to do what we need to do and get our work done as well. So, Absolutely, man. Uh, what are what are your ultimate goals as a student athlete? <clears throat> well, I'm majoring in criminology, so um, okay. I f- I'm going to carry that out um, definitely. Yeah, I kind of when I was so when I went to college, I dropped out of college. But when I went to college, I did go for criminal justice. I actually wanted to be an investigator, a criminal investigator. So uh, going into college, it was just. I was in a bad situation and I had to drop out and I just kind of never went back. But uh, that was something I did want to do in there. So that's a good major to have, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, what are your What are some of your short term goals this season? Um, I'm just going one one day at a time. Uh, I know a long term goal is to win the uh, national championship with my brother. So that's what we're gonna try to work to get done. Um as we have this uh, season coming up ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would you say is something most people might misunderstand, maybe about you or maybe the student athlete? What's something that maybe a fan or somebody might misunderstand? Um, I, I do not really know. Um, I'm pretty straight up. I don't think like I'm a, um, like a closed book. I feel like I'm more of an open book. Um, I definitely believe that. I don't really think. I don't know. I I gotta ask the fans. Do they think I'm misunderstood? Like, do they think I'm misunderstood or something like that? Because I don't really think I am. Oh no, 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 no! I was just saying, like, you got those some some of those fans out there that will make 
like if a player misses a player or something, they make a stupid comment or whatever, and they don't really know what some of these players go through. I was just kind of inferring to that. But if, if you've never had that kind of an issue, <laughs> you've never had that, even at like an opponent stadium, you've never had like some fans just like yell at you or say some bad things or anything like that. Yeah, but I don't really let it get to me. They're fans at the end of the day, so yeah, uh, it just comes with it. Yeah, they uh, it's uh, it is what it is, man. You go to these stadiums, people start drinking and they they say really random things, and practically, <laughs> I'm not I'm not one of those. So, <laughs> <laughs> what current player, either in college or NFL, or maybe even outside of football, inspires you the most? Um. I don't know. I mean, I have a couple, I would say. Like, not playing football. Uh, I would say my cousin that trained me all my life. He played in the uh, NFL, Garnett Wilds. He uh, he definitely uh, was a big reason why I'm where I'm at today. Um, as far as, like, a like a coach standpoint, I would say, like, Coach Raymond, he, he just, the way he bring it to the table. And then, like, as far as, like, I got some – some um, friends that's in the NFL right now that just inspired me to get there. Like, it's life bigger than what's out here every single day. So I would say, like, Ray Ray McLeod and um, a couple of my other uh, close friends that's in the league. I, I didn't know that that was your cousin, man. I, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. All right, Jordan. Uh, it was fun having you on, getting smart today. I wish the best of luck to you this season and to everyone else on the football team. And if you would like to leave us with anything tonight, the floor is yours. If not, that's fine, too. You can just say you leave us with a go Gators. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and thank everybody that's going to take the time out to listen. Go Gators. Go Gators, man. Thank you for joining me on Getting Swamp, Jordan. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you, man. All right, that was Jordan Young, number 31 on the Florida Gator defense. Another great kid on this staff and a huge up-and-comer, man. Just, I mean, look, just go back and look at the spring game. Jordan Young, dude, he's a monster on that field. He's flying all over the place. I mean, just one of the many guys on that defense that stood out to me when I went back and watched the film. So a really smart, athletic kid on that side of the football and also a fantastic kid off the field as well. All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode of Getting Swamped. And remember to visit the website, www com for all your latest podcast. If you also prefer YouTube, I also post some of the podcasts on there as well, along with some of the videos I take down there in Gainesville. And if you want to, you just search for Getting Swapped on YouTube and it pops right on up. And you can also follow the podcast page on Facebook or Twitter at Swamped Podcast. And you can follow my personal Twitter at Getting Swamped. But folks, that'll do it for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting Swamped.